Today, I'm pleased to help us recognize and celebrate Jarena Lee. Jarena Lee was born in 1783, and she was the first woman preacher in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, or AME Church. Lee was born into a free black family in New Jersey. She did not receive formal education, but taught herself how to read and write. At age seven, she began working as a servant in the home of a white family. At the age of 21, she moved to Philadelphia, where she was introduced to Christian teachings at one of the first African Methodist Episcopal AME churches. AME founder Richard Allen was the pastor. Eventually, Lee became a devoted follower of Jesus and was baptized. Soon after, she felt compelled to preach and told Richard Allen so. Allen initially rejected this, telling Lee that women were not permitted to preach in the church. Lee persisted, and 10 years later, she formally petitioned the AME church to allow her to preach. Allen and other leaders again refused. But a couple years later, during a Sunday service, Lee felt particularly inspired, and she began preaching without permission. <laughs> and Richard Allen was so impressed that he immediately endorsed her. Technically, according to church rules, he could not license her to preach, but he could allow her to serve as a traveling preacher for new AME churches. So Lee traveled widely, preaching all over the U.S., including the South, where she risked enslavement. And despite Richard Allen's blessing, she faced hostility to her ministry because she was black and a woman. But again, she persisted. In 1836, Lee became the first African-American woman to publish an autobiography. In her own account, in one year alone, she traveled 2,325 miles and preached 178 sermons. Here's an excerpt from her autobiography. I have traveled 1,600 miles, and of that, I walked 211 miles and preached the kingdom of God to the falling sons and daughters of Adam, counting it all joy for the sake of Jesus. Many times cast down, but not forsaken, willing to suffer as well as love. In one church, I spoke on the Sabbath day to a large congregation from Numbers 24. And the Lord gave light, life, and liberty on that portion of scripture. Great time. <laughs> While preaching, 10 or 11 white men came and said they wanted to see the preacher. The elder sent for them to come to the house, but they seemed afraid or refused. They came to the door to know by what authority I was preaching, but I was fortified for their laws by my credentials having the United States seal upon them. Brother J.B. then took my credentials and also showed his own. And upon examination, the magistrate said, she is highly recommended, and I am bound to protect her. An under officer anxious to get hold of my papers, very much opposed to our being in the state, tried hard to frighten us out of it and went to lay his hands on it, but was rebuked by the magistrate. 
And two days after the magistrate sent word to me to go on and preach, he did not care if I preached till I died. Today we honor and celebrate Jarena Lee for her faith, her courage, and her indomitable spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. I think I preach maybe like 15 times a year and I feel tired. 178. Woo. Um, good to see you all this morning. We are going to talk about money and cash, my favorite subject. Uh, and I want to ask for a show of hands to start. So raise your hand if you carry cash with you. Who carries cash with them? Okay. Uh, maybe 60% around there, two-thirds. Uh, okay, for, sorry, keep your hands up. Who, who has cash, who carries cash? How many of you used the cash in the last week? Keep your hand up. Okay, so we put down maybe half of them and half stayed up. Okay, cool. Um, on the other extreme, raise your hand if you have Venmo. All right, more. And keep your hand up if you used Venmo this week. If you used Venmo this week, keep your hand up. Okay, wow, I think that's more than half who had their hands up. Okay, um, I'm curious about this. Um, so this is, a, this is a $20 bill that one of my boys received in the mail for Valentine's Day in a Valentine's Day card from my mom, their Grammy. And yes, my mom sends cash through USPS. And, and by the USPS Masters and the God Apollo, it somehow arrives from Indiana to Iowa City. Uh, it gets here. So yes, go UPS, uh, or USPS, I should say. Um, and this tradition of sending cash in the mail, my mom learned from her mom, my Grammy, who would send me cash in the mail at every birthday and holiday, me and all my siblings. And I loved her for this. I loved her for many things, but cash was pretty nice. Um, now, there's a big difference, though, between the cash that I received when I was a teenager and my boys, who are now 15 and 17, what they receive, because now when my kids receive $20 in the mail, they immediately turn to me, give it to me, and say, Dad, will you deposit this in my account? <laughs> they each have a debit card, and this is useless to them. <laughs> they never use cash. I'm their banker. I make the deposits and their debit card, they see the balance go up. One, and there's a lot of differences, and we've been looking at studies, um, or they've been doing studies now for a number of years on electronic payments versus cash, and how humans behave differently and what it does to the human uh, psyche in using those different payment methods. It's fascinating stuff. But one of the differences I've been thinking about is that it's a little bit easier to think about the history of transactions when we have tangible money. Like, we can think about this $20 bill and imagine all of the ways it's been used in various transactions. This has been in circulation since 2013, okay? So I don't know how many transactions it's been involved in, hundreds, perhaps? And we could think about tracing that. And it's kind of fun to think about. Like, we could imagine that Caitlin Clark used this to buy shoes at Shields. <laughs> right? Maybe, could have happened, I don't know. 
Uh, it could have been in, I don't know, maybe let's say like a briefcase full of cash that was used to bribe a politician in a Midwestern state pushing harmful legislation. <laughs> I, just a thought, I don't know. Okay, I know that actually doesn't happen anymore. We call it lobbying, so... Um. <laughs> There's actually this, and really, I won't spend too long on this, okay, but just, this is fun. So there's a website that is devoted to tracking physical bills. Anyone who's heard of this? Yeah. Where's George? So if you get a dollar bill stamped with where'sgeorge.com, you can go and log on this website where you got the dollar bill or how you're spending it, et cetera, and what condition it's in. So I was on this website this week, and it's awesome because there's a live feed, and you can watch the map ping as people are entering in live in real time. And then you can see the text scroll of what they're saying. So here's some examples. This is great. I won't read all these, but here you go. There's dirty pocket. Fascinating. I don't know what that means. College. Someone used a dollar to pay for college. Thanks, Dad, for the dollar, the last one. Um, here's one more screen. The lucky bill. I don't know how they found that, but hey. And then look at the last one. Change from self-checkout at the Iowa City CVS at Old Capitol Mall. <laughs> Literally, I'm watching the live feed and that comes up. I was like, hey, woo. Oh, so fun. Okay. That is a lot, a lot of fun for me. Um, I bring this up because in the scripture that we're going to look at today, Jesus makes a really provocative claim about money. And the reason he makes such a provocative claim we're going to look at is because Jesus is interested in the history of money and wealth. He's looking at the whole history of how money and wealth came to be and how it affects us today. The transactional history. Okay, now we are in a teaching series we're calling Repurpose, uh, where we're considering how Jesus invites us to repurpose things, aspects of our lives, and money is certainly one of those things. We're going to look at a parable from Jesus. It is an ironic, wild, cheeky parable, one of the best. All right, so let's do it. It's from Luke 16. Jesus said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that the manager was squandering his property. So he summoned the manager and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. You're fired. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do? Now that my master is taking the position away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 50. 
Then he asked another, how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the unjust manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unjust wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Oh boy. Let's talk about the manager. Just make sure we're all on the same page, okay? So, there is a manager, and the owner of the estate is very suspicious of his manager. He has gotten news that this manager is either acting in bad faith or is incompetent or some kind of mixture of both, and he's going to fire the manager. The master, the owner, demands a full account before he fires him. So the manager goes to his office. He's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Aha, I've got a plan. He calls in the creditors, or the, the debtors, people who owe the owner money. And one by one, he begins canceling part of the debt that they owe the owner. Now, what's hilarious is the manager has no idea what they owe (laughs) the estate. (laughs) Like, he starts asking them, how much do you owe, my master? Like, generally, if you're a manager, you want to keep a list (laughs) of the things you have, what you're managing, and what people owe the estate. He has no idea. Um, Remind me how much you owe my boss. Then he starts slashing it to a lower amount, buying the good favor of all the people that owe his owner money. Now, put yourself in the uh, position of the owner-master for a minute, right? Like, you have a big estate, a lot of property. Your manager is bad. You're going to fire them. And then they start slashing the debts of what's owed you. I mean, how do you feel? Angry. Disappointed. Angry. Angry. (laughs) You know, like... (laughs) This is bad. Like, you would sue the person, probably. You know, it's like, this is fraud. Um, Not good. But this is where the story takes an odd twist. Because Jesus tells us in the story that that the owner, the master, commends the unjust manager. He praises him for acting shrewdly or wisely. It's like, nice job. And on top of that, Jesus seems to be offering the manager as a model worth imitating. He says, he ends it by saying, make friends for yourselves by means of unjust wealth. That's the takeaway. Do what the manager did, friends. That's it. He did so well. Okay, there's one detail that I think will help us understand a little bit more what's happening. In the culture and time of Jesus, when someone lent out something, they would write the bond or the amount owed in terms of goods, just like what we see in this story, olive oil, wheat, other goods like that. And they would add a certain amount on top of that as the interest on the loan. But here's where it gets interesting. Because according to the law of Moses in the Bible, people were prohibited from charging interest. Here's Deuteronomy 23:19. You shall not charge interest to your brother or sister, 
interest on money or food or anything that is lent out. Interest, according to the Bible, is illegal. It's immoral. The more you know. I mean, all of us, every, if you have a checking or savings account, you're engaged in unbiblical financial practice. <laughs> if you are paying down a loan, like on a car, or house, anything, you're engaged. Well, they are engaged in an unbiblical financial uh, system. Amazing. But at this time, there was a loophole. Ah, loopholes. Wherever there's a financial rule, there's always a loophole, Yes. So the loophole at the time of Jesus was, hey, look, instead of writing the bond in terms of the amount of what's owed and adding interest, we will put it in amount of goods and add a little bit on top. And that way, we're not really charging interest, but we are. And you ask, how is that a loophole? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, but people considered it not interest if it was just in terms of goods instead of the total amount that was owed. So here's the thing. In the parable, the story that Jesus is telling us, the manager, what he's doing is he's cutting out the interest on the original loan. So a person comes, says, I owe 100 jugs of olive oil. He's like, make it 80. He's taking out the portion that was interest on the loan. Same thing with each debtor who comes in. He takes out the interest that's owed. So the owner... (laughs) The, the owner of the property, the estate, is in a bind. Because if he complains, like, what are you doing? He's complaining about not getting interest, which is illegal, according to the law of Moses. So he can't quite complain. He's been tricked. And so he's genuinely impressed by his manager's actions. Like, that was pretty good. You got me. Wow. Very shrewd indeed. And meanwhile, what do the debtors feel like? They love this guy. I mean, he's their new best friend. They're going to send him a nice fruit basket. You need a favor. You need a job. You come to me. I got you, right? Like he has literally bought friends, bought favors. Okay, so that's a little of the context. Now, I'm not sure that this clears the manager of the morally ambiguous behavior here, right? I mean, he's taking money that's not his, it's somebody else's, and he's slashing the debt, you know? It's not his. If, if this happened today, I imagine he would be sued and the person would win that court settlement. It's fraud. But Jesus still holds this manager out as a model worth imitating. Make friends for yourselves by means of unjust wealth, Jesus says. Do what the manager did. This point from Jesus is driven home even further. After the parable, right after this, here's what Jesus says. Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is unjust in very little is unjust also in much. If then you have not been faithful with unjust wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? 
No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Whew. Now, I don't know if you notice, there's a repeated phrase from our parable, the story. I'll just highlight it here to make it more clear. Unjust wealth. If you have not been faithful with unjust wealth, who will entrust you? Who will entrust to you the true riches? I want to explain what's happening here because this is a little wonky. But what Jesus is doing here, he's adopting what's called a dualistic framework. Dualistic framework is when there's a very stark contrast between the heavenly or spiritual things and what is earthly. And Jesus does this in quite a number of places in the New Testament where there's a big contrast, right? You've got on one hand uh, unjust wealth over here, earthly riches, and you've got true riches, the spiritual heavenly realm, I actually don't buy this kind of dualistic thinking. I don't think it's quite literally true. And I don't think Jesus does either, okay? And there's a number of other places in the Bible where dualism is not what's happening at all. There's a much more sense of unified or union of between the earthly and the spiritual realms, okay? Um, but Jesus uses this dualistic framework to drive his point home. And his point is a rather provocative one. It is that money and wealth are unjust. All money, all wealth is unjust. This $20 bill is unjust. Okay, now how can Jesus make such a claim? I think there are two reasons we can uh, highlight here to make this claim of Jesus or what he's thinking about. And the first I I referenced earlier, and that is the transactional history of money. Where has this $20 bill been? What's it been involved in? Now, maybe it's been rather benign, okay? Maybe it hasn't been in a briefcase full of cash. Uh, Maybe it's not been used to buy anything illegally or buy something illegal, whatever. Um, but this $20 bill is representative of something. It represents the United States Treasury and all of us who believe in that treasury, that trust. And where did the money, where did the wealth of the United States come from? Should we do a history lesson? If we trace the money and wealth of these United States, it will not take us very long to identify events that were unjust, that were exploitative, that were violent. And it's a little bit, I think, like rings on a tree. Okay? Now, we can look at this $20 bill and its history since 2013, and that's the exterior ring. right? That's its life in the last whatever years, 10-plus years. Okay? And, and we might say that that's benign. It's been involved in perfectly fair, honest, just transactions. And we can think about this with our own money or wealth too. right? Like We can think, look, I worked hard for the money and wealth that I receive. I come by it honestly. I purchase things that, are come, that came by honestly 
and it's a fair, just system. Or is it? We'll come back to that in a second. But, you know, on the surface, maybe it is. But think about where it came before that. Where has the $20 been before that? If we dig into the rings, the history of the money or our property, where did the land come from upon which we now enjoy this church service? Where we live? And if we think, like, we came by this honestly, we bought it fair and square, but what about before that? What about before that? What about before that? Jesus sees all the rings. Jesus, when Jesus thinks about money and wealth, he sees the whole transactional history. Everything that has come before it is carried forward. And all the ways we benefit from the financial system, from money and wealth today, it is touched by that history. Unjust wealth. Unjust money. That brings us to number two. The global economic system in which we all participate depends on injustice. There are poor people who are exploited all over the globe. And our financial system depends on that exploitation. There is violence against animals and against the earth. That violence is built into our global economic system. We live and move and have our being in a global economic unjust system. And every bill, every $20 bill that this system generates is touched by injustice. Now, it's tempting, I think, to kind of hold up our hands and say like, well, look, David, you know, I'm not, I'm not part of that. Like, I don't make the rules. I'm just trying to, you know, do my honest work, get honest pay, be a good person, et cetera, et cetera. And I get that. I don't think Jesus is trying to diminish the virtues that we would all try to cultivate. At the same time, I think Jesus is inviting his disciples and us to really take seriously just how touched by injustice all money and wealth are. It's there. It's there. It is in the air all around us, unjust wealth. Now, this is the fun part because what Jesus is inviting us to do with the parable is to be like the manager, which is go make friends. <laughs> go make friends. Use the unjust wealth that you have to prioritize people. Learn how to be wise. Learn how to be shrewd so that you can take what is unjust and repurpose it for justice. Repurpose it for generosity. Repurpose it to make friends. This is so fun. It's like wealth. 
is a tragic villain with a really tragic origin story, and we can take it and use it for justice, repurpose that villain for justice. One of my favorite writers, Wendell Berry, he said, rats and roaches live by competition under the laws of supply and demand. It is the privilege of human beings to live under the laws of justice and mercy. We can choose otherwise. We can acknowledge the full injustice of the systems in which we participate and benefit. And the sooner we acknowledge that, the freer we become to make choices that are just. I think part of Jesus' strategy here is like, by calling it unjust, he's trying to just trip us up a bit. You know, like, why would we want to be associated with something unjust? And, and we don't, right? We want to get away from it. And that's exactly what I hope, what I think Jesus is hoping to cultivate in us is this sense of freedom, of liberation. Like, it's wealth, it's unjust. So don't get too connected. Don't, don't be so closely associated and tight with money and wealth. Be free, be generous, use it, make friends, have fun, be generous, go. This is the invitation of Jesus. Repurpose unjust wealth for justice. Amen.